Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bohl, Director of Public Affairs. Today we're joined by Spencer Tuma, our Director of National Legislative Programs. We're going to update you on international trade, the flood situation across Missouri, and some of the other projects that we're working on here at Farm Bureau. So let's get started. Spencer Tuma is our Director of National Legislative Programs. Spencer, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, it's great to be back. We have a lot going on in the trade realm, as usual. Uh, wanted to jump in right there and uh, get an update on what's happening with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Mm-hmm. Where do we stand with that right now? So the latest that has happened is um, the International Trade Commission, or the ITC, one of the requirements of passing new trade agreements is that the ITC has to submit a report to Congress, basically, that outlines um, kind of who wins in the agreement, what are the gains going to be for each respective industry, um, and any potential problems that it might see with the agreement. So that report was released late last week. Okay. And what did the results of that uh, that report show? Was it good for us, bad for us in the middle? Yeah. So for agriculture, overall, we continue to believe, and the ITC report confirms, that the uh, USMCA is a net positive for our industry. Uh, as I tell people, when we started renegotiating NAFTA, when President Trump said, you know, NAFTA is the worst trade agreement ever ever written uh-huh. or ever signed, um, that may be true for other industries, but it was not true for agriculture. We've actually seen agricultural trade really prosper under NAFTA. And so when we decided to renegotiate it, our main message was do no harm to agriculture. You're, you're welcome to mess with other things. There are certainly some other things that need to be addressed. Um, but by and large, we wanted agriculture to be generally left alone. And that's a lot of what the USMCA does, is it mm-hmm. maintains the status quo for agriculture. So not a lot of changes. There are some changes for our dairy producers that we've discussed. Um, that is going to result in some additional market access for our dairy products, which is wonderful. Uh, but as an overall um, as an overall benefit, it doesn't represent a really large percentage increase, but it does represent a small increase. And um, to have not lost any ground and to have gained some additional market access, we believe is a win for agriculture. So what does the timeline look like on getting it uh, actually finalized and put into law? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of speculation about how this moves forward. So the ITC report was one of the last requirements that was out of the hands of President Trump and the administration. So um, he had very little control over when that report was released. There was a deadline on that, which they fulfilled Now what has to happen is the administration has to release the official language of the agreement, which we have all already seen because Mm -hmm. it was signed last fall, and actually submit what's called an implementing bill to Congress. And I think this is a really uh, good point to make is that a lot of people hear the words implementing bill and they're like, oh my gosh, you're saying all these nice things about the USMCA and we haven't even seen it yet. That's not totally accurate because right. we have seen the text of the agreement since November. November 30th is when it was signed. So mm-hmm. um, it basically what the implementing bill does is it says we have this language and we'd like to make it an official trade agreement. And then it's in Congress's hands for 90 legislative days. And we just heard, uh, I think, a few days ago from Richard Trumka from the mm-hmm. um, the Teamsters Union, I believe, yeah. the head of that. and. He was withholding support until Mexico can uh, make some changes or promises to 
change the way that they handle labor, mm-hmm. um, that ends, may end up being the thing that holds this up the most. Any word on where are we stand with that? My understanding is that Mexico is pursuing some of their own fixes to this labor issue. Um, but the at main question with you know some House Democrats, but, but also stakeholders throughout uh, the different industries that are involved in the USMCA, is how are we going to enforce any of these provisions in the trade agreement? So I think that's something that some people would like to see kind of ramped up a little bit in the agreement. There are other people who think that it's really not the U.S.'s job to enforce Mexico's labor provisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because without uh, without the Teamsters, I think this is a really uh, – it, it has an uphill battle anyway, yeah. and that would just add to um, the difficulty that – many trade agreements have in getting passed. Yeah, getting it through the Democratic-controlled House without yeah. the support of organized labor would almost be impossible. So right. we need to get that ironed out first. Yeah, and it sounds like we are making strides toward doing so. I, yeah. I, I've, I've been pretty encouraged by some of the things that I've heard. Got so it. I think we're going to get there. Sounds good. Uh, another thing that is uh, happening on the trade front that seems to be a very positive news is mm-hmm that we've begun formal talks with Japan on a trade agreement. Yeah, that's a really big deal. Um, As you know, Japan is a really large potential market for a lot of U.S. ag products, uh, many of which are livestock products, beef and pork. Um, Unfortunately, a couple of years ago, the U.S. declined to participate in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, now called the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. Because mm-hmm. uh, it needed a few more letters. Because it needed a few yeah. more letters mm-hmm. to, to throw in there and just confuse people. So the U.S. Uh, had partaken in those negotiations and then declined to participate um, Unfortunately, that meant that we were then excluded from all of the benefits of the CPTPP, which went ahead and went into effect. So um, that really does give some of our competitors a leg up on getting market access into some of these new and emerging markets for ag products. So Japan is a big one. Uh, it would be great if we could do a bilateral with them. There's even been talk that we would move towards like an ag trade agreement first and then deal with everything else later. At, at main issue with Japan is we want a deal for agriculture and they really want a deal for automobiles because mm-hmm. they, you know, obviously have a lot of automobile manufacturers there. Yeah. So And that may lead to it not being separated out because Very they well use could it be. as a bargaining chip. Absolutely. And since they want one thing and we want the other thing, they're not going to do either one independently, most likely. But right. we, uh, <laughs> we can always hope and maybe they will uh, have the appetite for that. So I think the Prime Minister of Japan, um, Prime Minister Abe, is actually scheduled to have a meeting with President Trump, and hopefully they will be discussing some of these negotiations in particular. Yeah, any news there would be very welcome because Japan's a huge economy. It's one of the largest in the world. So having a a full access there would really be a a big benefit to American farmers. Yeah, and I think it's really important to point out, too, you know, President Trump was against the U.S. being in the TPP, and that ultimately was the administration's decision to pull us out of that. But when he did so, he said, you know, we need to explore some bilateral agreements. And I think we are starting to see some of the benefits. Um, everybody I talked to said, okay, we're great with bilaterals, but let's go ahead and get some done. And I think we're moving towards a couple, and, J- and Japan is huge, as yeah. you mentioned. So that'd be great and if these, we could get it done. And these things take a lot of time to get worked out and written. So it won't be over in the next few months. It no. will take quite a while to get these um, going. So it does need to really get the the ball rolling and get started. So this is very good news. Right. Absolutely. Um, so in the same neighborhood, we, uh, we've we been talking forever, it seems like, about the issues with Chinese trade. Yes. 
Yes. Um, what, where are we standing with that right now? You know, it's interesting to look back. Um, we've kind of been dealing with these tariff issues with China for about a year. I believe it was kind of mid-April last year when the first round of tariffs really started kind of ramping up in the media. Um, so it's interesting to look a year later. We've had a lot of ups. We've had a lot of downs. Um, but I think we're getting close with China. Everything I've heard from multiple sources is that the majority of the agreement is pretty well wrapped up. We are just kind of stuck on how do we enforce the agreement between the two countries. And that's kind of what we've been trying to solve this whole time, I feel like. I mean, the first question was, they've been breaking all these international trade rules. How do we enforce it and right. make it stop? So I feel like we're kind of, in a way, we're almost to the end, but we're back where we started, yeah. if that makes sense. It's kind of one of the fundamental issues is that we, yeah. we weren't able to to enforce international laws against the, um, the Chinese government, and we need to figure out the way to do that or else it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. Uh, hopefully that means a good deal for agriculture. I think the prospect of trade with China is really, obviously that's been a huge market for us and we'd like to gain some of that back. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things going on uh, with the pork industry. Yeah. Uh, pork was obviously targeted as one of the tariffs, but now China has this huge bout of African swine fever. And I know you had shared some really interesting statistics. I think our listeners might gain a lot from that. Yeah, it was really interesting to see just, I think, a few days ago that um, I, I believe it was over 30% of the Chinese sow herd has been culled in the past year. Um due to African swine fever. And that is more than the entire American herd put together. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how large their industry is because that's the, the meat of choice uh, mm -hmm. in China really is pork. And so that continues to spread. And a lot of people think that the problem may be more widespread than even that. Right. Because their government is, is not exactly known for publishing accurate statistics. Fair enough. And sometimes they understate problems um, mm -hmm. when it's to their advantage to do so. So that has led to a spike in uh, American pork exports uh, and many other countries as well to fill that hole, that, right. that void that is left by all that, um, the, the swine fever um, issues. So that may continue to be a problem um, for them uh, for a long time to come because they won't be able to restock their herd mm -hmm. um, for, for a long time. It'll take a couple of years to get back up to where they are, even if they could get rid of the uh, epidemic today, which right. they haven't. So. Um, on the downside of that, uh, we've seen so many problems in the past year with the low soybean imports to mm -hmm. China or exports from America to China um, because of the tariff situation and the retaliatory tariffs that they've put on us. Well, the main reason they were buying the, that soybean is to feed to their hogs. Right. And now that a third of their, their herd is dead, <laughs> they don't need nearly as much of that. So the soybean imports have even been going down again. Right. So it's good for one part of our um, of the ag sector, but bad news for another one. And, and we definitely are very concerned about mm -hmm. the potential of spread of African swine fever, too. If it goes to other countries and, you know, God forbid, America, it could make a, a huge impact on the world market. Absolutely. And it's interesting to think about African swine fever and overall international trade and how they intermingle with each other. But I have to wonder, just specu totally speculation, you know, does the growing threat and epidemic of African swine fever in China, does that encourage them to enter a deal with the United States mm -hmm. or does that discourage them yeah. from entering a deal? I, I don't know the answer well, to that. Well, that's a good question. And it, uh, it could go either way, I guess. But I think that if their people are running out of their preferred food to eat, 
um, and running short on it, hard to find it, or the prices are going way up, mm-hmm. yeah, that probably would put some pressure on them to find right. a way to make it happen. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, and, you know, n- nobody's immune from diseases, um, especially when they're epidemics like this. But the United States has the best um, disease prevention in the world mm-hmm. and biosecurity. So um, if anyone's well-positioned to uh, move into a market when there are these problems, it should be us. So. Maybe it will ultimately play out well for us, but we shall see. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on to more domestic issues. Um, <laughs> we've been working a lot, and you specifically have been working a lot in the past few weeks on the uh, issues with flooding mm-hmm. um, on the Missouri River and elsewhere. Um, we have seen a lot of uh, roundtable discussions over the past couple of weeks as well that um, you've been at, so helped facilitate some of them. And mm-hmm. um, what are we learning at those? What, where all have you been, first of all, who has done these roundtables and, and what have been some of the takeaways from them? Yeah. So primarily, you know, we've been working hard with engra- engaging our congressional delegation about the impacts of flooding along the Missouri River. But also, I don't think we want to forget the Mississippi right. River as well. Um, they have seen some flooding. It's It's not been nearly as kind of severe and shocking as what we've seen mm-hmm. up in Northwest, but they have, you know, had some issues on the Mississippi as well. Uh, but spending a lot of time with our congressional leaders talking about the priorities for river management in the Missouri River system, but also getting disaster funding out to farmers and ranchers. You know, a lot of people, I had never seen anything like this, but when you drive along the road or you see pictures and grain bins have exploded because mm-hmm. the grain has literally taken on so much water that it's the it's not able to hold it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable. At this point, there's no program through USDA or FEMA or anybody to help people who've lost stored grain, and, and most people don't have that covered by insurance. So that's kind of a gap that we're really trying to fill, and educating our congressional leaders and, and informing them about these issues is really important. So we've been all over Northwest Missouri. Um, having roundtables, we had Undersecretary Bill Northey out. Um, Senator Blunt has held an event. Congresswoman Hartzler, who has um, some of the more lower parts of the Missouri River in her <laughs> district as well. Congressman Sam Graves, of course, and Congressman Emanuel Cleaver have both been engaged. Really, our entire congressional delegation has kind of banded together. Uh, Governor Parson yesterday did issue a request for a federal disaster declaration from the president. Um, and the entire Missouri congressional delegation, all eight members of the House and two senators, signed on supporting that request. So oh, um, we continue to move forward with that. But um, as anybody who has been through any sort of disaster knows, recovery sometimes takes a little longer than than you think it might. Yeah, that's for sure. And we definitely may still be getting some more um, spring rains that could cause mm-hmm. more problems uh, on top of what we've already seen. So right. no, it's an ongoing problem. Um, so along with that, you mentioned disaster funding. Well, we've also had some private donations mm-hmm. um, that some people have made to help assist the people who have been harmed by the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, the Missouri Farm Bureau Foundation for Agriculture um, has also been collecting some money uh, to try to help some people out. Uh, where do we stand with that? So in particular, the goal of what the foundation's uh, flood relief efforts are trying to do is we saw a lot at the very beginning when the when the floodwaters were running rampant through northwest Missouri. Um, in particular, I think it was really inspired by the city of Craig, which is where we have initially did some filming of, of the footage gear there and the sandbagging. And there's a school in Craig. And I think as, as we thought through things and as the foundation board of directors thought about what role can Farm Bureau play in helping people, 
education is one that is supported, of course, their mission supported by the foundation. And so what the foundation's fund is set up to do is help provide assistance to students who are um, either in 4-H or FFA involved in some sort of agricultural education who may have had projects or um, supervised agricultural experience that they were working on that that was damaged or lost due to the floodwaters. So I think that's a really unique opportunity to get involved in flood recovery. Um, it's doing hay drives and sending bottled water and sending clothing and items of support are certainly needed, but those students a lot of times don't have insurance. And mm-hmm. so that's something where we really felt like the foundation could help. Yeah, and if anybody wants to help out with that, they can go to mofb.org slash flood mm-hmm. to donate. Um, another issue that's been, uh, that you've been working on on the, uh, on the local level is the MOASC uh, program that uh, has been going on throughout the spring. Can you tell us where that is? Sure. So um, actually, we haven't mentioned so far, but it's a really exciting week because it's State FFA Convention Week Mm -hmm. in Missouri. So um, I'm a former FFA member, and um, Jill Fansler, who's the director of our foundation, really works on this MOASC IRC program, um, which the acronym stands for Missouri Agricultural Skills and Knowledge Industry Recognized Credential. This is a program that Missouri Farm Bureau has partnered with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education on for multiple years. And the goal of the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, or DESE, is to make sure that every student graduates high school either college or career ready. Mm -hmm. And Missouri Farm Bureau really supports those goals, and we believe that career and technical education, like vocational agriculture programs, are a very important part of developing a workforce for the future. So what we've done is we actually partner with DESE to issue industry-recognized credentials, which basically means that if you participate in an approved FFA contest, so say you're in ag mechanics or you're in soils, um, the state has standards for what is considered to be proficient in those areas. So what Missouri Farm Bureau does is, one, helps verify those standards and then issues the credentials to students. And that's designed so that students who are proficient in those areas can put that skill on a resume Mm -hmm. and use it as a career builder for their future. So whenever an employer, you know, say you have a student who graduates high school and does want to go to college but wants to get a job while they are working through school. The employer can look at their resume and see that they are proficient, certified by the department and Missouri Farm Bureau in category X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And same thing if they don't decide to go to college. Maybe they want to enter the workforce directly. That carries the same weight on the resume. So it's a really important program. Uh, We've issued thousands of certificates over the past several years, and those are conducted at FFA contests. So this is kind of uh, the time of year when we get to send out all those awards. Wonderful. Well, that's uh, nice to see when they actually receive those, uh, the excitement that some of the kids and their parents have to see that they've um, completed something that really shows that they have some marketable skills. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. It's well, been a good program. I appreciate all your work with that and, and Jill's work on that. Thanks for the update, and we will continue to pay attention to these things and uh, get another update here in the next coming weeks. Okay, sounds good. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. We will be back with you next week.